Beloved, let us pray. Speak, O Lord, for we are listening. Silence in us any voices but your own. Enlarge in our hearts, open our minds, and heal our souls. This we humbly pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For the past few falls, we here at First Press have been taking a deep dive into the Old Testament. While the liturgical seasons of Advent and Lent show us how God is made known to us in Jesus and the early church, in the New Testament, the season of ordinary time gives us the opportunity to see how God is made known to us in covenant and community in the Old Testament from the rich narratives of creation to the powerful proclamations of the prophets, there is something for everyone. And I mean everyone. If you want drama, just read pretty much any book in the Old Testament. If you want a love story, there's Song of Songs. If you like poetry, read the Psalms. And if you want the cynical rantings of an ancient curmudgeon, read Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is easily my favorite book in the Bible, and as it turns out, I'm not the only one. Over the past few weeks, many of you have shared with me your deep appreciation of this text, which I find interesting, because this book doesn't fit neatly into our modern expectation that the Bible is an academic dissertation proving the existence of God. It doesn't fit our Western post-Lightenment preference for a coherent, linear, Socratic argument. Instead, it is the honest reflection of someone's son, a king, a man, a person who has seen it all, had it all, experienced it all. It's messy and contradictory and confusing at times. In other words, it's human. In that regard, it makes sense why this book has stood the test of time, why Kohelet, our teacher, has stood the test of time. We relate to him, and he relates to us, which is good, because while sometimes we have enough faith to ascend to the heavens, most of the times, we just need the heavens to come a little closer to us. We just need God to come a little closer to us. With that earnest expectation at the forefront of our minds, let us turn to our scripture reading for the day from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 on the meaning of relationship. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power with no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who have already died, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from one person's envy of another. This is also vanity and a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. 
Again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all of their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. But two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As humanity adapts and changes over time, so does our language. With new inventions and trends and movements come new words and phrases and vocabulary. For example, in 1955, art artificial intelligence made its debut. In 1985, it was attachment parenting. In 2000, it was the verb form of the word Google. In 2016, we met the phrase, cancel culture. And in 2020, well, let's just say 2020 was a banner year in the field of language. An example of an old term that found new meaning is the word pandemic. At the start of the pandemic, we used this word with its intended meaning to categorize the virus known as COVID-19. But then we started to use it as a catch-all term to describe this particular period in time, this pandemic season. And then we even used this word to create a new one, double pandemic. A double pandemic are the twin viruses of COVID-19 plus fill in the blank with any one of the cultural diseases ailing us as a society. Diseases like racism, climate change, gun violence, gender-based violence, political radicalism, religious radicalism, a housing crisis, an opioid epidemic, just to name a few. Now, like a viral pandemic, each of these diseases alone have the power to endanger our very way of being as individuals and as communities. But combined, this panoply of pandemics has brought even the most optimistic of us to our knees, uttering the kind of things only Kohelet would say. Sentiments like vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, everything is hevel. Now, as far as language goes, hevel is a hefty word, a substantial word, but it isn't the final word, at least not according to Ecclesiastes. But in order for us to get past all of the hevel, we must do what any good doctor would do and look not only at the symptoms of our illness, but the source, the things humanity has been struggling with since the time of Ecclesiastes until now, the kind of pain that afflicts all of us no matter who we are, what we are, where we are, or even when we are. Things like anxiety, pain, depression, anger, and worst of all, loneliness. Now you might be thinking, oh, come on, Charlene. This feels a little dramatic. Sure, loneliness isn't very fun, but it's not a virus. It can't kill you. 
Well, actually, it can. According to the National Institute on Aging, the health risks of prolonged isolation, aka loneliness, are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness-related health issues can lead to stroke, heart disease, mental illness, dementia, and Alzheimer's. Its effects are real and disturbing, and yet we don't talk about it very much. I know I don't. A few months back, I was having lunch with an old friend from New York who happened to be in town. The last time we had seen each other, it was before the pandemic. We were both living in different states, we had different jobs, we led different lives. Needless to say, there was a lot to catch up on. But when the conversation turned from what we were doing to how we were doing, my friend did the craziest thing. Without hesitation or fanfare, he simply said, I am lonely. In that moment, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, oh my gosh, I am too. That's the thing about loneliness. Due to the mere fact that we are alone in it, we assume we're the only ones experiencing it. And yet nothing could be farther from the truth. Recent studies show that over half of U.S. adults experience loneliness on a regular basis. 79% of young adults are lonely, a figure that is twice as much as senior adults. People with lower incomes are lonelier than those with higher incomes. 75% of Hispanic adults and 68% of black American adults say they feel deeply lonely, figures that go well beyond the national average. Now I share all of this with you not because I want to make a competition or a hierarchy of who is the loneliness, but first and foremost to assure those of you who are feeling this way that you are not alone. And secondly, to point out that underneath so many of the issues we continue to face as a nation and as a created people is a sickness that we may not be able to touch or see or even recognize at times, but it exists and it's called loneliness. Okay, now that we know how pervasive this issue is, what do we do? Well, first we have to understand exactly what loneliness is. According to former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy, loneliness is, is the discrepancy between the connections you need and the connections you have. It is what happens when our basic human needs for intimacy and belonging and relationships are not met. It's no wonder we are the loneliness we've ever been. After all, because of the pandemic, our entire world just spent years of our lives not only being socially distanced, but socially afraid. Our desire for connection put into direct conflict with our desire to stay safe. And yet, as I said earlier, our need for relationship is not some kind of elective want. It is an essential need. And so even in the midst of a global pandemic, we did what we could to meet that need. We Zoomed and we texted. We called and we FaceTimed. We tweeted and commented. We friended and defriended. We liked and we disliked. We tried to fit our need for three-dimensional relationships into a two-dimensional box. We muscled through the worst of viral pandemics and the worst of cultural pandemics by scrolling on our phones. Again, it is no wonder we are the most divided, the most angry, the most anxious we've ever been. 
which now makes sense even more why we are the loneliest we have ever been. In the words of Dr. Murthy, relationship is the foundation of dialogue. And I would add relationship is the foundation of our existence. I think Kohelet would agree. As we see throughout Ecclesiastes, the teacher never lands on the expected worldly answer to the question of the meaning of life. One by one, he demolishes all the monuments we have built in the name of success and wealth and power and even time. And then in the vacuous space that is left after burning everything down, Kohelet does the craziest thing. Without hesitation or fanfare, he builds a table where we are instructed to sit down, eat our bread with enjoyment, drink our wine with a merry heart, and to enjoy our lives with those we love. The lesson being, we cannot thrive without each other. But always and ever the realist, he acknowledges that life isn't always a banqueting table. Whether we like it or not, in a world full of hevel, there will always be evil and injustice, oppression and folly, envy and greed. And in the face of those realities, Kohelet, again, doesn't give us the expected religious answer and tell us to pray and hope for the best or wait for the day when all will be magically made well. Instead, he tells us to pick up the person who has fallen, to keep warm the one who is cold, and to cry with the one who is oppressed. The lesson being we cannot survive without each other. Yes, we need relationship to enjoy the good times, but most importantly, we need relationship to endure the hard times. Relationship that remind us that we are not alone in our suffering. Relationships that assure us that we have not been forgotten in our sorrow. Relationships that are God's way of coming closer to us, sitting with us in our time of need. You see, underneath our very sophisticated quest for the meaning of life lies a set of very simple yet terrifying questions. Questions we wouldn't dare whisper in the dark, but questions our teacher is not afraid to shout from the mountaintop. Questions like, does anything in the world actually matter? Do any of us actually matter? And most terrifying of all, do I actually matter? Do I matter to God? Do I matter to my people? Or am I alone? Questions humanity has pondered since the beginning of time. Questions we have all asked ourselves at one point or another. Questions that find new urgency when we are in the midst of times like the one we are in right now. Times of uncertainty and trial, pandemic and war, loneliness and sorrow. But most of all, Kohelet would say, in times of oppression and injustice. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who have already died more fortunate than the living. But better, is the, better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. 
As much as we might want to make Ecclesiastes into some self-help book on the meaning of life, Kohelet challenges any notion that makes it all about me, that makes it all about the self. Instead, he tells us the best way to help ourselves is to look beyond ourselves and that the meaning of our lives is found in giving meaning to the lives of others. So how do we do that? Well, I would say this is where the New Testament can come in to help us. I would say this is where Jesus could come in to help us. As people of Christian faith, we believe that if anyone embodied wisdom and the meaning of life, it was Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. Right in line with Ecclesiastes, we see throughout the Gospels how Jesus was committed to a life of relationship. Sitting at table, eating bread with enjoyment, drinking wine with a merry heart, and enjoying life with those he loved. But most importantly, Jesus, the Son of God, was in relationship with those who were convinced the world had forgotten about them. And in relationship and through relationship, Jesus, the Son of God, affirmed the existence of the sick and the poor, the outcast and the exile, the oppressed and the lonely. Big enough to care about our existence beyond the grave and small enough to care about our existence right here on earth. In Jesus Christ, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God cares about us. God has not forgotten about us. God fights for us, especially those who are oppressed. And consistent with Kohelet's theology, God does this in ways we will never know or understand, but God also does this in ways we can only understand through friendship and community and support and relationship. Relationships that exist to meet our most basic needs, answer our scariest questions, and affirm the holiest of truths that all of this does matter. That all of us do matter. That you matter, even when you feel alone, or perhaps especially when you feel alone. If these past few years have taught us anything, if these double and triple and multitude of pandemics have taught us anything, how we hold each other and care for each other and treat each other matters. We have the power to affirm each other's existence and we also have the power to deny each other's existence. We can either lean in or turn away, sit down or walk out, give or take, be humble or be right, listen, or speak. Now, I don't think it takes a biblical scholar to know which approach Kohelet would advise or which path Jesus would take. So I want to close my sermon today with a reading from one of the most profound books I have read in recent years. I, too, you know, have some books, Tom. Within its pages lies gospel truth and the most valuable wisdom for these particular times and for all times. It's written in English, not in Greek. But don't worry, it's still serious. Now, for copyright reasons, I can't read the whole thing, but I can give the basic gist. The title of the book is called The Rabbit Listened. It's by Corey Dorfeld. Now, it's the story of a child named Taylor a child who decided to build something new, something special, something amazing, something Taylor was so proud of. 
But then the book tells us that out of nowhere, things came crashing down. Now, one by one, Taylor's friends come to tend to Taylor. The chicken wants to talk about it, cluck, cluck. But Taylor doesn't feel like talking. The bear wants to shout about it, rawr, rawr. But Taylor doesn't feel like shouting. The elephant wants to remember things exactly the way they were. The hyena wants to laugh about it. The kangaroo wants to throw it all away. And the snake wants to knock down someone else's building. But Taylor didn't feel like doing any of these things, and so eventually everyone left, and Taylor was alone. And in the quiet, the book tells us, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit. But it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together they sat in silence until Taylor said, please stay with me. And the rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked, and the rabbit listened as Taylor shouted, and eventually Taylor began to remember and laugh and hatch plans to hide and throw everything away and even ruin things for someone else, and through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing. Amen.